Hello, and welcome to Culture Dive, the podcast from Scottish Women Inventing Music, aka Swim. Every month, we'll take a deep dive into the issues that matter. We'll discuss the stories making a splash, and we'll highlight the people and organisations turning the tide for women in music. I'm Carrie Marshall. And I'm Marusa Qureshi. Coming up in this episode of Culture Dive, the UK government, everyone in the arts, get a real job. The new Swim Help Hub and how it can help you. How diverse is the music business really? And how songs from lockdown created a musical community in the midst of COVID. first section is called Making a Splash, and in this section we talk about the stories that have been making a splash for people in music in recent weeks, and by far the biggest one in Britain at the moment is, it's, the words fail me for this, the government has basically told pretty much everybody in the arts and in the music business in particular to get stuffed. The furlough scheme is coming to an end at the end of October, and people who are self-employed will only get 20% of their profits based on last year. Um, this is a, a death blow, I think, for an awful lot of people in music. And people are very upset, aren't they? Or a... Yeah, and understandably, I mean, for me personally, it's yeah, it's a bit, been a bit of a tough one to just stomach because we all know how hard you know, everyone in the creative industries and all of our pals work. So, you know, often these people have more than one job. So it's just so insulting to have to hear this from the government. Yeah, I love I love the idea that the government thinks that, that people in the music business, that's their full-time job for everybody. It's quite an interesting thing because, the, you know, a lot of people have been saying about the, the, the economic argument for this. And the economic argument for this is huge because the music business is a huge part of our economy, much, much bigger than fishing, for example, which we're always talking about protecting. Um, but it's, you know, there's a, there's a cultural argument as well. We're, we're just coming out of a situation where we're going back into another blooming lockdown. And the people who make the films and the music and the art that got us through the last one and are going to get us through this one might not be able to make any more of what they do going forward. And there's a really interesting thing. Did you see the thing by DJ Mag's Lauren Martin on Twitter? Oh, I don't know if I did, actually. What, what did she say? It was really, really interesting. She, she wrote about um, what, what may be a bigger picture here. Um, and she wrote that settling uncomfortably into the idea that the government sees the closure of the nightlife industry as a once-in-a-lifetime chance for them to redraw UK cities in their preferred image, quieter, more moneyed, led by the resident as consumer. And the figures that have been shared online of how much nightlife brings into the UK economy to appeal to it's the economy, stupid, Tory sensibilities, is marginal compared to what the government could make on selling up closed venues and plots of lands to banks, real estates, etc. And then when illegal raves become the only feasible option for people to play and dance again, the Tory press will gloat to all the stabbings and overdoses that will follow because there's hardly anywhere safe to rave. Which I want to say that pubs in key central areas and more upmarket pubs in residential areas will survive. So, you know, we're always going to have weather spoons. But, you know, what about the little venues, you know, the, the, the downstairs basements where all of the bands that the government likes to cheerlead about when they're doing millions a year, where they learned their craft, where they got their audiences, where they became what they are now. And it's just, I get so angry. You know, you can feel angry and depressed about it, but it just feels like we're in a situation right now that we're kind of stuck in and it's, it's like you're screaming into the void, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, it, it just it kind of feels to me that we're, we're going to end up, I mean, we, we've got a situation, we're going to talk about diversity in the music business a wee bit later on anyway, but, you know, we already have a situation where money is overwhelmingly dominating music, where you have very, very wealthy people are, are kind of dominating club culture down in London, where very, very wealthy musicians are dominating the, the music here. And when you move into fact that, you know, areas like music journalism, you have people who are based in a situation where their parents are able to bankroll them to do all the internships and all the other bullshit that people have to do to get jobs in any sort of creative industry. It's a world of Mumford and Sons. And that, that's absolutely, I think that's worse than COVID. <laughs> but you know what, I know exactly what you mean, but there, there already was so much talk even before this government comment came out about how much COVID will affect the nature of the industry. And, you know, especially in terms of who will be left and just as, as you're saying, it's it's going to be the people that can afford to, to do it. People like Mumford and Sons and, you know, and what I'm really worried about is that the arts will essentially become a rich person's hobby 
and that's kind of what I almost feel like the government see it as and it's yeah like going back to what we were saying it's insulting I think it was quite telling that the I think it was the Royal Opera House was laying off pretty much all of its workers because of COVID and its boss was getting something like half a million a year three quarters of a million a year it was some like absolutely obscene amount of money and it kind of seems as if the managerial class of the arts are going to be just fine because to the government they're one of us Whereas, you know, and, and again, diversity again, you know, th this, this is disproportionately going to affect the sort of people that don't vote Tory because the Tory governments have not been particularly good for them. You know, any sort of marginalised group, working class people, you know, people of colour and all of, the, all of the, the kind of the most vibrant musical scenes that we have in this country have been kind of left to die. So, I mean, have you, have you looked at the government's quiz? Are you going to retrain for cyber? Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, if you'd done the quiz. Do you, do, you not think, do you not think that it was like, if someone had told me it was a BuzzFeed quiz, I would have totally believed them? Because it just is oh, so yeah. ridiculous. But I did do it, and it told me that I should be a company secretary. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, That's and, but you know what? Like, I, I answered, it depends, to so many questions. I just don't know how that could be yeah. you know, accurate in any way, because every question was just like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and uh, it's just, yeah, it, it, it was like a BuzzFeed quiz, like a joke kind of thing. It just didn't seem real at all. And to be honest, I was going to ask you this as well. I mean, have you ever considered actually retraining even before all this happened? Have you been at you know, that point? I, I've thought about throwing myself into the Kelvin. I don't know about retraining. Um, I, well, I'm, I think I'm fairly typical for, for people in, in the arts. I, I haven't made a profit out of music in 22 years. Um, so I, you know, I have a portfolio career. I'm, I'm a, I'm a sort of the, the Scottish equivalent of a, of an actress, waitress, whatever, you know, I, I, I write, I work, I do music. There's all these kind of different things going on. And, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm quite a good example of the sort of thing that until about six months ago, the Tory party was, was all in favor of, you know, I'm a one person entrepreneur. I run my own business, but it turns out that I don't run the right sort of business. So I don't get any sort of government support. Harry, you do kill it in every area of everything you do. So, you know, can we move on to something that is not going to have us howling into the void and talk about something a bit more positive? Definitely. The first deliverable for support in SWIM's activities to combat abuse can be found on the SWIM site. It's a signposting hub which highlights support for sexual assault, domestic abuse, violence, stalking, mental health, legal advice, links and more. The next piece that we'd like to talk about um, sort of underlines the fact that, that music is much more than just the people you see on stage and the people that come on and pick up all the, the, the awards and all the rest of it. They sort of get the credit, but there's a, there's a whole army of people behind the scenes. You have all of the people that, that make the events happen. And of course, you have got the people who've got to lug all of their gear onto the stage and put it all away again when they're back in the green room drinking the shandies. And The Guardian did a piece in October that focused on the, the abuse faced by female roadies. What did you think of that, Arisa? So I'll be honest, I really didn't know much about just really what roadies do. Obviously, I know what they do in, on a very basic level, but I didn't realise how intense that kind of job was, really. And I feel kind of silly about that. But reading that article and, you know, doing a bit more digging, I also wasn't surprised um, by the kind of treatment that female roadies in particular have had. And, um, yeah, it's, it's depressing. But I had in the article, they mentioned a blog post um, from a while back and and uh, it's about the experience that a sound engineer had with a band, which we now know is The Killers. And I had read that and I remember just reading that and thinking, oh, this is horrendous. But every person in the article noting that they had been pushed aside by promoters who, you know, who um, assumed that a man must be in charge. It's so relatable because I have spoken to so many women in the arts in general that have had that exact same experience. So it's, it's you know, I feel like I learned more about the experience of the roadie on a more kind of serious level in terms of the horrible things that can happen, but also on a more kind of relatable level in terms of just the general kind of um, experiences of women in the arts. Yeah, yeah, it kind of echoed for me a lot of the stuff that I've heard from, you know, like women who are sound engineers and women who, are, you know, do, do the lighting and all the rest of it. That, you know, 
they turn up to do a day's job and the assumption is that the man is coming sooner or later. Um, I, I thought one of the things that was particularly awful about the Guardian piece was when it was talking about people that are marginalised for reasons other than just being a woman, which of course is, is, is bad enough that people are treated badly because they're women. So it was talking about, for example, the experiences of women in colour in, in um, the roadie sector and of you know trans and non-binary people and some of the, the horrific experiences that they had had and it, it seems to be that the the part of the solution to this is is female artists saying okay that's enough you know we're going to do things differently now we're going to have an all female crew or a, you know a majority female crew and just not accepting the behavior anymore and it it ties in with something that you and I spoke about a few weeks ago we were talking about the idea of empathy which is you know this this phenomenon of when a guy does something bad there's this whole support structure that kind of blames the person that criticizes him or blames the person who speaks out. And it, it does sort of feel that, that there's, there's a closing of the ranks that, that is evident, certainly in this article from all of the women's experiences in there, that, that when women have spoken out about what is often a very, very toxic environment for them, that this empathy thing has kicked in. And maybe it's just because the, the, the women artists don't have the empathy. No, I totally, totally remember that conversation and know what you mean there. And I kind of echo what you said that, yeah, maybe so greater inclusion in the article says that's the solution, I guess. But having more people in your corner is a great way to protect yourself. And, you know, having more women around is a great way to protect. Um, and just to have people to speak on your behalf and people that will take those issues seriously. It's so important. I wonder how much of this is connected with COVID because... I mean, at the end of the article, it says, you know, if there's a silver lining to the pandemic, it might be that this pause gives time to take stock, dismantle and reconsider the status quo so that safeguarding and accountability become the norm. And, I, you know, when things were business as usual, maybe there's an element of people just sort of got on with it. You know, they knew that they knew it was crap. They knew it was terrible. They knew it was disgusting. But, you know, there was always a, there was another show to put on. There was another town to go to, all this kind of stuff. Whereas you've got an opportunity here where, where women are not necessarily, you know, having that amount of workload to do. And there has been an opportunity to sit down and think about stuff. And, and more importantly, to network with other women in the same industry and go, hang on a minute. These guys are bad guys. You know, this crew is a bad crew. This artist is fostering, you know, a really horrific environment. Which, you know, it kind of, that sort of ties in with the next story we were going to talk about, which is, is, is another campaign against abuse and harassment in an area that, that many people probably wouldn't think could be toxic, which is Scottish trad music. Yeah, this is, this is so interesting and it's such an amazing like, initiative. It's, you know, something that I feel really strongly about in terms of the kind of work of the people that have been involved. You know, going back to what you were saying, yeah, during lockdown, it does feel like a lot of musicians have gone public about abusers, um, particularly in local scenes. Mm. Um, you know, and we, we talked about, back when we had a conversation a while ago about um, Burger Records and how that was yeah. shut down completely yeah. because, you know, of the, the culture of toxic masculinity. And then also, you, I think you mentioned on the On the Record Me Too music documentary. And yes. it's just all the, all these things that's, I feel like lockdown has really given us a kind of sense of pause to just step back for a minute and just, you know, give people a chance to to tell tell their story. And, you know, I'm I'm glad that people are able to tell their story and also kind of in awe of people that can because it is, you know, so hard and so intense. Yeah. Um, but with this particular um movement in, in the trad music scene, um I'm I'm glad that this conversation is being had because, like you said, it's not something you'd expect in the trad music scene. Yeah, I, 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 and I wonder how, I wonder how much of of that is helping people maybe get away with it because there is a sort of assumption that, you know, if it's if it's hair metal and spandex pants that they're going to be sexist pigs, you know. Whereas maybe you know if it's I I don't know if if you know somebody's playing a, a, a fiddle or an acoustic guitar and comes from a nice wee place where everybody knows everybody's business that they're not going to be a, a howling misogynist but you know you know that's not how how this works and it's, it's interesting because you know whenever we have these sort of me too things and this is in, in wider society not just in music but you get guys kind of 
telling on themselves, right? So there was, there was, a, there was one a couple of weeks ago where a very, very prominent, um, I'm going to choose my words carefully because libel, right? But there, there, was, a, there was a very prominent male writer who, who basically said that this had gone too far. I mean, you can't even stroke a woman's hair now without being accused of sexual harassment. It's like, dude, if you think it is okay to stroke women's hair in the workplace, you need to get out of that workplace because, man, you know, we're coming for you. Oh, if anyone like, touched my hair, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like all these, all these people going, you know, you can't come in and slap their arse anymore. Political correctness has gone too far. So you should have been bloody doing it in the first place. And it, it's, part of it kind of feels as if like an awful lot of the backlash to this is like toddlers going, but I don't want to be nice to girls anymore. You know, and it's like, just stop it. What you said, it's toddlers. It's, that's exactly what it is. Perfect definition. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about something happy again. Well, maybe not happy because it's about women's representation in classical music and how it's been consistently downplayed for hundreds of years, but it's still got a happy ending. This is a story that I absolutely love. It's, it starts with the singer and musicologist Chris Harbert. And Chris was studying an 18th century manuscript from, I think, around 1746. The exact date of this is kind of hard to tell, but we can kind of guess because some of the things it refers to were in the, you know, the years before. And, and this is in the U.S. Library of Congress. And he was looking at his pictures of, of this later on. And he noticed in tiny, tiny, tiny print, there were three women's names on it, right? And those names were Sister Phoban, Sister Katura, and Sister Hannah. And it turns out that these are the first documented female classical composers in America, right? So this is like, this is like the destiny's child of classical music in the 18th century. Um, so what Herbert is doing is bringing their voices to life with an album project called Voices in the Wilderness. Um, and they're going to have an a cappella quartet that's going to sing the composer's music. Now, it's not going to kick, right? Because this is like hundreds of years old. It's very choral. It's very religious. It's very much the sort of music you listen to and go, yeah, that's very interesting, right? <laughs> Where's my, my modern music? But I think that the fact that we're, that we're finally discovering um, that women have been doing this for such a long time and have just been getting shut out, it kind of ties in with all of this stuff that we talk about now. Yeah, and I'm so glad that, this is such a cool story, first of all, and I'm really glad that you did bring it to my attention because I didn't know about it before. And yeah, it's so interesting. But it, it does bring up this important point about credit and how women aren't often appropriately credited for their work. And certainly, like, they haven't been historically. So um, there's one one person in particular that um, I've kind of this brought, brought to mind. Um, there's a Canadian musician and singer-songwriter, Helena Deland, who's just recently released um, her debut album. It's called Someone New, and it's brilliant. And there's a song on her album called Lils, um, and it's inspired by the story of the Boulanger sisters. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't know who they were before, and I was a bit ashamed that I didn't know who they were before. Um, so basically, Lily Boulanger died at 24 in 1918, and then her older sister, Nadia, who was also a composer, evangelized her work for the rest of her life and it's just such a beautiful story of like sisterhood and friendship and yeah I just I wish I had known about them and then I went and listened to the music and it's just incredible and it, you know they were real pioneers of yeah. the early 20th century and it makes me think how many other female composers are out there that aren't credited oh God, for their contribution <laughs> I mean, there was there was one that went viral again recently, which was, was about Mozart. And, you know, we, we all know about Wolfgang, but we don't know about Maria Anna. And, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure many of the women listening to this will know about Maria Anna. But, you know, it was news to me that, that Mozart had a more talented sister who came along before he did, wowed everybody. Um, and they, they toured Europe together um, until she turned 18. And it was like, well, you know, a woman's reputation um, would be risked by traveling and performing music. So she was left behind and, and her dad just took Wolfgang out there and she never toured again. And I mean, she kept writing and her father just, just ignored it. So we were in a situation here where, where she was arguably, well, she was definitely as talented as her brother, but arguably more so. But, you know, she was the wrong gender. So who cares? Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's probably so many stories like this that we don't know about. and. In fact, after I read the story that you that you linked to, um, I went and did a bit more digging and just you know tried to to educate myself, I guess. And for anyone that's interested, there's a really good resource on um, via BBC Radio Three called Celebrating Women Composers, 
and it's oh, basically really? just a page that has loads and loads of stuff about female composers, links and um, clips to, to programmes, both contemporary composers, but also composers from the past. So yeah, I'd recommend that as just like a starting point. It, it was really useful for me, for sure. Um, and in terms of taking the lack of taking women seriously, this unfortunately does endure in modern times too, because a few weeks ago, Amy Lee of Evanescence told Alt Press of her experiences of the double standards for modern musical women. And I'm just going to read you a quote from the article, actually, because I think it's really important and relevant to what we're just talking about. So she said, Honestly, women do get skipped over. We do get left out of the recap when it all boils down. It is harder to make it into the cover of, or of the radio because our face is not the classic, quintessential face of rock. If you're thinking of it as a literal face, I think it's embedded subconsciously in our brains that women in rock are less authentic somehow. Like we're next gen, we're part two, not the original. A niche little off-brand thing. I, I've been listening to a podcast recently called You're Wrong About and they talk about Courtney Love in one of their episodes. Now, Courtney Love is the, the lead singer of Hole, was married to Kurt Cobain. And the, one of the things that they talk about is, right, like Courtney and Kurt co-wrote songs, right? So it actually, is, it's in Kurt Cobain's diary, something along the lines of, Monday sat down with Courtney, we wrote a song together. And the response to that by all the fans was, yeah, Kurt wrote all of Courtney's songs. Never any of Courtney co-wrote some of the best Nirvana stuff. It was always about the one way, because the man... It's always the one that is the talented woman. The woman's just playing at it. She's just doing it for, you know, to have a ten. Yeah, it's a very common, common uh, kind of narrative, isn't it? That we just are kind of fed into. Because, like, when I was growing up, I was a very, very big fan of Nirvana. Mm. And, I, I mean, I really loved, I, I kind of devoured everything to do with Nirvana. But definitely remember reading lots of things and, you know, biographies and all that kind of stuff that had that kind of narrative about Courtney Love in terms of her yeah. songwriting and you know now looking back I can see how ridiculous and horrendous it was that even at that young age that was you know part of the narrative that I was fed. Indeed yeah and the the, the, the British music press of the time did not exactly cover itself in glory I mean they called her grunge yoko among other things so there's this sort of toxic thing that has run through quite a long time and it's really interesting and I, I, I need to stop talking about this because I can talk about this all night right but one of the points that that, that that you're wrong about made was Courtney Love is a difficult woman she's not necessarily a likable woman but that doesn't mean she was in any way deserving of any of the nonsense that was said about or or any of the abuse that was was heaped on her you know you know because there are tons and tons of unlikable men in music and we don't seem to have a problem with them agree with you there lots of unlikable men <laughs> Okay, let's move on to deep dive. This is where we we take a, a deeper look at a key question. And our our question this week, I love this. How diverse is the music business really? And the answer is it's about as diverse as Lawrence Fox's contacts book. It's not remotely diverse at all. There has been a new study where um, we could talk stats all day, but we'll, we'll start with just a couple. A survey of the top 100 songs by British acts to feature in the UK airplay chart between the 1st of January and 15th of August this year found that only 19% were by female acts. Male artists accounted for 51% and mixed gender collaborations made up 30% and it was even worse behind the scenes. 80% of British songwriters and the surveyed tracks were male, 19% female and 1% non-binary. Only 3% of producers were female. I don't even know what you, say, what you say to that, to be honest. It's just, these stats, they come round again and again. I feel like we have these kind of surveys and these, um, you know, things that people are asked to respond to time in, time in, time out. And I feel like it doesn't get better um, every time. I, and not just in music, but for example, in publishing, there's a lot of these kind of surveys that happen all the time. And yeah. It just feels like, it, almost like each time the results come out, it's a shock. But why? Why is it a shock? Because it doesn't change, you know. Yeah, there was a there was an article in, in Mike.com that said that diversity is just a buzzword in music and publishing, and this was based on a couple of American studies. Um, but they, they they found that publishing and music are just struggling to meaningfully foster an environment where people of color, women, and people who identify as non-binary or members of the LGBTQ community feel equal. And we were having a look there at the UK Music Diversity Report, uh, 
Um, now, the 2020 survey has just been done, but it's not going to be published for a while. So these figures are like a year or so out of date. Um, and they, they spoke to about 3,000 music industry workers, and we found that um, Black, Asian, minority ethnic representation in the UK industry was sitting at 17.8%. Proportion of women in the industry was 49.1%. The proportion of, of BAME young workers was 25.9%. Percentage of young women, 65.3%, age 16 to 24. So it, it is getting better until you hit 35. And then it just goes to crap. And the, all of the, the, the patterns for, for inclusion, particularly of women, just go. I think and part of the problem with that, or part of the reason for that is because of retention and that, you know, there's a lot of kind of initiatives and things in place to get people into the industry. But there's not really much to keep them there and to give oh, them a sustained a support. Point. Yeah, yeah. There's so much stuff for like 16 to 24 year olds. And I wonder if, if, if COVID is going to, going to have a, a, a knock-on effect here because, you know, uh, the, the people that are being hit by all the economic stuff from COVID are primarily low-paid people, people with, with you know, really precarious careers. Um, a lot of freelance careers have, have been knocked out. And I've seen an awful lot of stuff where, where, where like two members of a household have both had to work from home. The woman has been the one expected to do the childcare and the housework and all the domestic stuff, even though she might be the the one who's got the better job and the better breadwinner and so on and you know particularly uh, we, we seem to be okay at the moment because you know the schools are open the pubs might be shut but at least the schools are open because that that is catastrophic for women with jobs because it's predominantly the women that are expected to look after the kids when the schools go into lockdown yeah but you're so, so right there you're so right and i guess like just going back to what you were saying about covid generally having such you know an effect yeah, lock, lockdown and things being cancelled and closed, etc. We talked before about how it's given us a chance to kind of pause and reflect, um, you know, especially in terms of diversity and in terms of you know anti-racist work and what we could all be doing, and the effects of kind of Black Lives Matter, especially have ignited something mm. in our industry in general. Where we're finding that people saying, you know, people are saying enough is enough, and. In music, yep, sure, positive steps have been taken, but as as you you're just saying there, there's still a lot of a, a lot way to go, um, and you know we can talk about how diversity and inclusivity and lineups, for example, still you know, still quite a long way to go there. Yeah. Um, we were making progress in terms of space safe spaces beforehand, but yeah, I'm worried that this progress progress will just be forgotten, um, and we'll have to take kind of, you know. T- number of steps back because it, it is all about survival. Vic Bain, sorry, did a, a, a major study called Counting the Music Industry. And she looked at, at the experiences of, of women and underrepresented groups in the music industry and identified what gatekeeping was going on and what the key obstacles were to that. And we were lucky enough to speak to her recently and discuss, you know, what are the obstacles, the obstacles to diversity in the music business right now? <laughs> Well, I'm Vic Bain. Uh, I've worked in music of various sectors of of music for about 25 years. I spent half that time working working for one membership organisation at the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers and Authors, which is now rebranded as the Ivers Academy. But Two years ago, I left there and I'm now focused full time on researching and campaigning on behalf of women in music. So basically what I did is I, as I analysed, I did a gender audit of over 300 UK music labels and publishing companies. It took four months to do, to do, you know, painstakingly do the count because basically I, I, I went onto the company's website, copied their roster and then analysed their entire roster to see whether their their artists were male or female. And uh, you know, with solo artists, it was it was quite straightforward. You, you can fairly accurately do a gender identification by looking at somebody's photograph and images, uh, and a name as well. Names are very very gendered. Um, the groups it took slightly longer 
because then you have to you know you have to look at data for m- multiple multiple people so it was a painstaking process but i i eventually got got the results and the writers i wasn't i wasn't uh, so surprised by having worked you know for, for for so many years with writers with songwriters and composers and the um the sort of overall statistic was uh, 14% of uh, their rosters were 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 female mu- musicians so 14% i wasn't surprised by but the musicians i was surprised by the record labels and that was just under 20% now um there were there were some genre differences uh, classical music being um the best genre for female musicians that was uh, just over 30% of um classical music rosters were were female artists and sort of going going down i think i was surprised at pop pop was um 18 18% i really i was really surprised because i think that's seen sort of as a very female friendly genre um not so uh, 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 with the you know with the with the labels and I counted a lot a lot of labels I think it was like sixty or seventy uh, pop labels but then and then the more electronic and the darker the music the fewer and fewer women so that heavy metal and grime and drum and bass were sort of five five six percent of their rosters were female um, so I think the but the overall statistic of just under twenty percent I was I was really surprised and you know when I published it I think the music industry was really surprised as well. There were a few great, great people out there who are really uh, interested in booking more women. Really, you know, want to want to make that that part of their ethos. However, some of the bigger festivals that we've seen who are, you know, replanning maybe socially distanced gigs for next year, um, such as Leeds, Leeds and Reading, we've all, you know, we've already seen their lineups have fewer than 10% female musicians on their lineups and there's some um socially distanced I think sort of driving gigs and 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 so on that have happened uh in the northeast and and again their their lineups are fewer fewer than 10% female musicians so um I, you know I think it's just watch this space there are going to be a lot of researchers Looking, looking at the impact right now, when I really do fear for female musicians, because um, you know, women in particular, you know, and this is not just actually um, affecting affecting the music industry, but across across every across the whole country in every working sector, women are having to bear, you know, the full burden of uh, solely caring for for children. Under lockdown circumstances, and you know, caring for for elderly parents and other relatives as well, and that that's you know, I think that's going to have a quite devastating effect on female participation in the music industry across the board. So, um, you know, I really do, I really do fear um, for how that's going to to manifest. You know, I'm going to do another counting the music industry in another four years. I said I would do one every five years. To see to see what sort of progression, and I I had high hopes last year that we would, you know, we would see we would see some uh, you know uh, fantastic gains for female participation. But with COVID, I I'm really worried. Published in 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 February this year, a, a, you know, a pretty comprehensive list of of um, female musicians um, and bands with women in them. And actually, that came out of all of the research I did counting the music industry. So, as I explained, I, you know, went on company websites and simply copied uh, their rosters um, uh, into into spreadsheets, into big big spreadsheets. Out of doing all of that work, I realised early on, maybe January or so, I was like, gosh, you know, actually, if I extracted the names of all of the female musicians and composers and bands with women in them that's probably quite a lot of of women you know i've got their i've got their names and all of their labels and publishing companies and you know i should just extract that put it put it all into one big spreadsheet and make it make it public so um so i did that 
in in February this year, and um, that list is is uh, has over three and a half thousand female musicians on it, with um, with either their label websites or their own personal website, so they can be contacted. Um, and over a thousand bands with with women in them, um, and that is that is being used. It can be used by by anyone at all. And um, well, even yesterday, I had a I had a message through LinkedIn. Hey, I'm you know I'm I'm curating a an online New Year's event, and I've been using your F list to 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 find female acts. It's been so helpful. Um, so you know, so it is it is being used, and um, uh, uh, I've also sort of got some big news that uh, hopefully in a in a few weeks uh, I'll be launching a new version of that website, a searchable, really fantastic looking searchable WordPress directory, where every female musician and and in fact the music companies as well they get their own page. They can put tons of information on on it. You know, upload their own contact details and music links and, and and so on and uh hopefully i'll be going live with that in in october so yeah watch 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 this space our next section is making waves when we look at the the people or organizations that are doing interesting things for women in music um and this month, we're looking at it through the lens of Rishi Sunak's advice that we all retrain. Yep, so he recently suggested, as we just spoke about, that we all retrain, which undermines you know, the creative industry's importance as an integral part of our economy and wider society. If the music industry being on its knees wasn't bad enough, the government's complete ignorance and don't give a shit about attitude when it comes <laughs> to the music industry overall continues to dominate. So how will live music proceed? And how are people coping now? We recently caught up with Synergy Concerts Director Grania Vedamanikam to find out how coronavirus has impacted her and how she sees the future of the industry. Hi, I'm Grania Vedamanikam and I am the founder and director of Synergy Concerts Scotland. Synergy Concerts has just celebrated their 16th birthday quietly due to the pandemic and lockdown uh, and restrictions against live music, uh, but we hope to be celebrating our 17th birthday next year. We have literally promoted thousands of artists. Uh, some of them include Joanna Newsom, Sonic Youth, Slint, Public Enemy, John Hopkins, Fortet, Caribou. Godspeed You Black Emperor, Deerhoof, Bossy Love, Mogwai, uh, and thousands more. I love so many things about my job. I love the constant flow of new music and being inspired by that and seeing new things being born and just the kind of the, the, the road of discovery that kind of comes along with that. But also I love working with artists and developing them and, and watching them grow and watching people discover them that is something that is just so invigorating uh and also seeing a band perform on a stage i remember we did neutral milk hotel and it sold out in about 20 minutes at the glasgow bearland and there was not a dry eye in the house every person was singing their lyrics you know they'd never been to scotland it had been decades since they'd released uh the record that they were performing and it was just so exciting and so seeing that all of those things are just so thrilling uh and and really just make make my job amazing you want to stay positive and speak in a way that kind of radiates positivity but the truth is it has been catastrophic uh for for everybody who works in live music for that kind of entire ecosystem of Everyone from people like me, promoters, to venues, to crew people, um, you know, production companies, ticketing agencies. Uh, there are so many people who work in this industry who have just been completely decimated. What we are trying to do in terms of planning for the future is quite challenging because obviously we're in a situation that's so fluid uh, that until we have a vaccine, we simply don't know what's going to happen. Uh, 
But because we literally have nothing else to do, there's nothing else we can do. And we have to kind of maintain that hope. I get up every day. I work on shows. You know, we've already, we, when the lockdown first happened, we postponed everything until the autumn. And then of course that wasn't looking like that was going to happen. And it clearly isn't. So we've now postponed into uh, the second quarter of next year. Um, so we're just trying and hoping that things happen, uh, trying to remain positive and, uh, yeah, kind of just seeing it, seeing how it goes. It really is a, a day by day situation. You know, you just take each thing as it comes and hope for the best. I've been really noticing a lot of young people, particularly women, um, talking about, you know, how they, the change that they want to see. Um, and so I think that with all of this going on, once the dust has settled, I think that we will see the kind of birth of a lot of new collectives. And because it's clear that there are so many people, young people in particular, who just want something different, that the musical landscape has been fixed for quite some time. And so I think we'll see more collectives and DIY communities coming to the fore. and. I'm seeing, you know, a lot of young people on the internet just saying this setup, it's not what I'm looking for. And now they have that kind of space to get clear on what it is that they do want. And they're putting that together and they're mobilizing and they're going to do it for themselves. So that's what I think will be the kind of silver lining in all of this, you know, particularly in Scotland, which is a country that's always been ahead of the curve. So that feels really exciting. So I hope that, you know, young women who want to do something, now is the time. Put together your plan. What is it that you want to do? Because once this is over, I mean, when, when we have recession and economic downturn, the lingering effects of that last quite a long time. So I feel like if anybody is in a fortuitous position to kind of do something and put together a plan, it's it's the young people who are just starting out because they can watch all of this and they can learn so much. So I think now is a perfect time for young people to just kind of get it together, get their plans, find out what they want to do and make it happen. In this next section, Keeping You Afloat, we talk about the inevitable money chat. How unviable are you? <laughs> but no, seriously, here's some great advice and some great you know, ways that you can get some support and help. So first up, help musicians um, who are obviously always brilliant and always fantastic. They've got some great resources on their website that you can check out if you need help and advice. So in particular, go to coronamusicians.info to find things like government advice, uh, mental health support, legal advice and more. Um, and then... Also, it's worth mentioning that the Help Musicians um, Coronavirus, the, the fund, the Phase 2 fund, is closed now, but they do understand and recognise how much you know help is still needed over the coming months. So they've said on their website to keep an eye out for updates on their social channels. Um, and elsewhere, there's the Musicians Union, which similarly has an excellent page full of resources on financial relief for musicians and hardship funds. So that's musiciansunion.org.uk. Yeah, the Musicians Union is probably one of the best places to find things at the moment. Um, that and following some of the right people on Twitter, I found that by following a lot of, of the SWIM members, I'm pretty cleared up about stuff that I wouldn't have known about before. Um, but you know, it is not it is not good out there at the moment. There is not an awful lot of money. Money that is being promised to people is not really coming out. You know, there was what, one and a half billion was promised to the arts sector and they've paid it, what, 200 million after 127 days? It's not good enough, is it? So to add insult to injury, it seems like some absolute rockets are now expecting musicians to work for free in the current climate, because if there's one thing that pays your bills, it's bloody exposure. So the Musicians Union is doing a campaign saying, just tell them to get stuffed. That's not the name of the campaign, but it is the message because, you know, what, what you do has value. It had value before coronavirus. It will have value afterwards. 
And, you know, don't be the only person in the room who is not getting paid. You know, if, if you're not getting paid, but the person who provides the water coolers for the office is getting paid, something has gone deeply, deeply wrong. And on the subject of things that have gone deeply, deeply wrong, there are streaming royalties. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm laughing at this. I got my PRS statement today. I've made £5.58 this, this quarter, right? Um, which is still £5.58 more than I've made out of Spotify because streaming royalties, streaming royalties don't exist. I, I, I refuse to accept that streaming royalties are a thing because I've never met anybody who's ever had any. Yeah, I agree with um, you. I feel like it's a total myth, right? It must it's, be. It's astonishing. And oh, Daniel Eck from Spotify, who is just like on every musician's wall as a pinup, has said that the solution to to not being able to tour because you know COVID has turned the music up industry upside down. Artists who previously sold records toured to make money, and then COVID just poof, took that all away. So your man from Spotify basically said, "Right, you need to work harder and put out more music." See this idea that you have to take ages to make a record, right? No, you need to retrain. Him and Rishi are together on this. Oh, maybe there's a conspiracy there. They're clearly working together. (laughs) I'm not allowed to swear. I need to keep this in mind when I have these conversations, right? So the UK Department of Culture, Media and Sport is consulting on digital streaming royalties. You have got until the 16th of November to share your thoughts or your experiences or your absolutely laughable royalty statements from this. And what they intend to do, they're going to examine what economic impact music streaming is having on artists, record labels, and the sustainability of the wider music industry. With streaming currently accounting for more than half of the global music industry's revenue, this inquiry will look at the business models operated by Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, and all the others. Um, and there's a couple of numbers in here. Music streaming in the UK brings in more than one billion in revenue with 114 billion music streams in the last year, um, which you'd think the government might be interested in rather than telling everybody to go and get a better job. Um, but artists can be paid as little as 13% of the income generated because in many cases, the deals are between the platforms and the record companies. So the committee is also going to consider whether the government should be taking action to protect the industry from piracy in the wakes of steps taken by the EU on copyright and intellectual property rights. I have opinions. Can I, can I talk about my opinions? Please do, Carrie. Right. I, I would like to hear your opinions. I, I, I have been covering online piracy since before Napster was a twinkle in Sean Fanning's eye. <laughs> and what we, 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 we're in a situation now where you don't need to pirate music in any reasonable way. By all means, you know, you can counterfeit t-shirts and sell them outside the venue if we ever play live again. But, you know, Music has become free to, to all intents and purposes. I mean, my Spotify subscription came with my mobile phone. I don't even pay for that. So, you know, the artists are not getting compensated by this. The problem is not pirates anymore. The problem arguably wasn't pirates before. Um, and it just seems like an odd thing where, where the, the UK government is saying, okay, so let's have a look at this completely unfair situation and then talk about pirates. It's like, what? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, be, I'll be totally honest with you. I don't really understand the whole um you know streams and royalties and stuff uh like the correlation between those two things as yeah. i'm not an artist so i don't i don't fully i'm not fully kind of up on how that all works yeah. and i've always thought oh no that's, that's that's ridiculous that can't be how it works but obviously oh, the, so speaking to you yeah. that is how it works and the, the more you know about how it works the more insane it sounds so it's like you know you get all these little bands that are on things like spotify and they urge people to play it and then spotify looks at that and goes yeah we'll give that money to ed sheeran it's really really strange it prioritizes the biggest hits on the platforms and it it basically takes a formula that goes well you know ed sheeran accounts for x amount of the plays on this platform therefore he will get x amount of the money um so if you're not if you're not him you're basically not getting paid. And there's, there's a whole thing, and we have to talk about this in another episode, right? There's this, there's this whole industry now of people doing mad stuff on Spotify to, to meet what the algorithms do. So you will do like, you know, Christmas songs about socks for cats, and it will get all of these plays. And we do a whole bunch of stuff that hits all the different keywords that nobody else is doing. And you are making more money than, than people who have put their heart and soul into, into their art. You know, yeah, we definitely um, so have to talk of, about this more later. It, it, it's it's like the the sort of the algorithmic equivalent of Jive Bunny or something equally awful. 
And it's, yeah, yeah. So, the, yeah, let, let's all write to the, the DCMS about this. Yes, I definitely will be doing that. Okay, our final section in this episode is on our radar. And it's when we talk about the stuff that has been on our radar that we have found interesting. And unfortunately, I've blabbed about most of it through the course of this podcast. I would really recommend that you're wrong about podcast again, because it is primarily about marginalized women and the raw deal that they have got from history and or the media. Um, the one I'm listening to at the moment is about Princess Diana. And it has completely changed my opinions of her. It's really, really interesting. It's such a fun podcast and it will tell you stuff that you didn't know. And it will convince you that you are indeed wrong about it. And I also wanted to mention there's a, there's a free book from the, the University of Westminster Press, which asks, can music make you sick? And this is, <laughs> this is not about your visceral reaction to certain pop stars. Um, it's talking about the, the reality of musical ambition, and it's by Sally Ann Gross and George Musgrave. Um, so the, the blurb here is that musicians often pay a high price for sharing their art with us. Underneath the glow of success can often lie loneliness and exhaustion, not to mention the basic struggles of paying the rent or buying food. Sally Ann Gross and George Musgrave raise important questions and we need to listen to what the musicians have to tell us about their working conditions and their mental health. And this is, you know, this is something you and I have talked about before that to, to an extent it's sometimes seen as if, you know, mental health is seen as a marketing tool for some parts of the music industry. And that, you know, it then becomes, if it becomes inconvenient, the support is then not provided. And this is why things like help musicians exist, you know, to provide support. So this is a free book. Um, I've forgotten the title of it, Can Music Make You Sick? Um, and the University of Westminster Press, that's the web address for that is uwestminsterpress.co.uk. So what have you been paying attention to? What's been getting you excited, delighted or angry? Bizarrely, I'm finding it really hard to watch films. So I've been I'm reading saying. a lot. I, I don't yeah. know why. It's, it's really strange. Um, so what have I been reading? Um, I've been reading... Uh, Terry White's amazing memoir, Coming Undone. Um, Terry White's, White is the editor-in-chief of Empire magazine. Um, she's just such a cool person. I've seen her like talk a bunch of times. Um, this memoir isn't about her work. It's about her life, and it's really, really heartbreaking. It's so, so wonderfully written. Um, and another similar wonderfully written book is Angie Cruz's Dominicana. And both these books have something in common in that they kind of follow women who've, who are going through really hard, horrible things and then they go on to achieve like just phenomenal, phenomenal things. So I'd really recommend both of those. Um, and of course, we have to talk about music. So in terms of music, I mentioned before, I'm really loving Helena Delan's new album, Someone New. And I've also been listening to new Shamir, Anderson Pack, and Sid Rim. And there's also been some really great releases by female rappers lately too. So, for example, Jungle Pussy, Sugiana, Brie Runway. And another woman who has been making waves in hip-hop in Scotland and in electronica is the Stay Award shortlisted Nova Scotia The Truth. And we recently caught up with her. I'm Nova Scotia The Truth. I'm a musician based in Edinburgh. Um, I'm mostly a rapper, but I also do electronic music production and DJing. Yeah, I'm a fan of diff a lot of different types of music and I incorporate them into all of my facets. I also have a radio show on Clyde Built, The Litmus Test, and that is mostly focusing on like ambient and experimental underground electronic music. I've been an active musician since 2017. I think that's when I started. But I guess things really picked up mostly 2018. That's when things started becoming more serious. That's when I released my mixtape 2018, 2019. So it's just, you know, building building blocks and layers. Um, but I started DJing first. No, I started, I started doing production first. And then I started DJing. The production was like, it was mostly remixing and making edits. Like I, I didn't really have a clear understanding of how to like produce my own original sounds and melodies and stuff like that. But throughout that time, I've been 
building foundations and building layers of knowledge about how to approach making music. So when I did my first mixtape, that was like had someone helping me out with the actual recording and mixing of the vocals. But that's something that I'm starting to do more myself now, and it's really good because it, it does really affect the music, like having my own creative control over the vocals and stuff like that. I felt pressure to stay on top of things, stay on top of my career and uh, stay active even though, you know, a large part of everyone's lives were was cut out and just stamped out uh, temporarily. But I felt pressure to stay contributing, stay relevant. Um, so I, I, I had begun writing this lyrics prior to lockdown. I'd probably begun them in like February-ish and it took quite a long time to write it. It was one that I would do in like a few sessions. Um, and the beat was given to me by one of my friends at the time. And it had like a sort of punky feel when I was listening to it. Like there's something about the bass and the drums in it that had this kind of like punky feel, even though it was, you know, electronically produced. Um, so I think that's kind of what like, started like the thought process of like I guess like anti-establishment uh, kind of ideas that would eventually inform the song. It was kind of like the first like developed piece of satire that I wrote uh, lyrically so I'm very proud of it yeah. My friend and I made a music video for Status Quo as well and we like made it ourselves so like moving forward in that I feel like I'm gonna be more hands-on in those aspects where I'm collaborating with other people. I'd like to be able to just get down like the recording process and just like be able to do it like effectively and like efficiently and just know what I'm doing. Like I would like to be an expert I think in recording myself and getting a good quality recording, mixing it and all that other stuff and do it quickly as well and efficiently like I kind of want to like become like a bit of a like machine I want to be able to like turn it out and just know all the steps and just follow them obviously like with creative uh, creative choices along the way but technically I'd like to know like exactly what I'm doing with that I've had I have had a few people like message me like I guess they found uh, me in articles or just randomly I don't know uh, asking for advice but it's kind of hard because you know from barriers that I've faced in trying to do my my music I've just kind of chosen to just mostly just do it myself like learn how to do it myself um, so yeah that's that's the main advice that I, I can give because I don't really know you know for instance I've had like people ask me about getting to a studio and it's something that I don't really, I'm not really well versed in. Um, so when asked me about working with labels, I was like, I don't know, I've never done that. Yeah, learning how to do it yourself, but also not being scared to approach like other people to collaborate as well. And just, you kind of got to believe in yourself, but you also must, absolutely must do stuff and like share it with the world. Even if it's not 100%, you need to, you kind of need to do the steps in order to get better. So it doesn't work for everyone, because for some people, but in my experience, I would say you've got to try really hard to just like release the stuff so you can move forward and you can, you got to follow through with everything so you can move forward. Flipping the script to survive nine times in the quarantine Dipping into reserves and the day's not the purge Grab my chest, don't hurt by the end of the verse What we do to deserve this curse, no If my chest do hurt, don't bring me home in a hearse, curse If my chest got a hurt, gotta make a heartbreak and not father lay If I lose someone, then my chest will burst, but you bury me first With the face of woe There's paint and bows that make some dough
Thanks so much for listening. This episode of Culture Dive was presented by Arusa Qureshi and Carrie Marshall and produced and edited by Helena Rafai. Our wonderful jingles are by the equally wonderful Jigsaw Tiger and our artwork is by the incredible Julia Dugan. If you'd like to hear more from Scottish women inventing music, check out the website at www.scottishwomeninventingmusic.com. You can subscribe to our podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favourite podcast app. And if you have a burning question you'd like our podcast to answer, or a brilliant idea for a musical initiative we should feature, please get in touch. Our email is scottwim at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and keep on making waves. Music